Thanks for joining us for today's sermon. We are always so encouraged to hear how God is working in your life. If the messages of this church have touched you in some way, please share that with us by clicking on the contact tab at lifesc.org to send us an email. And if you would like to give to this ministry, you can do so online to help us bring messages just like this one to you each week. It is our prayer that God blesses you through this message today. So we end this series, this long, extended marathon of a series um, with this sermon today called A Promise Story for His Kingdom. How many know God's given you promises? How many have waited a long time on some of those promises? How many are still waiting for some of those promises? Yeah, family members not saved. It can be all kinds of things. You put them in there. There's a man by the name of Samuel Clark. Anybody ever heard of Samuel Clark? It's a very good possibility you've heard of him. But the problem is you've heard of the Anglican philosophical clergyman named Samuel Clark. But there was another Samuel Clark. And he was always confused for the Samuel Clark you probably know. He lived in 1684 and he died in 1759. He was an English nonconformist clergyman who was outside of the norm of English church. He was trying to do the will of God in his lifetime and live the promises of God that God had given him. And he's often confused for that famous philosopher of the same name, but he stood on the promises of God. Amen, somebody. Dr. Clark ministered faithfully for over 38 years in a southern town called Hertfordshire, England. His name was lost because of others who had greater glitter and greater successes, it would seem. His identity was confused with a man that lived almost 100 years later. And his ministry was so itinerant that he just simply was from a small town in England. But the reason why we know of him, and he's found among scholarly discussions 257 years later, is for one solitary accomplishment. Everybody say one. In the height of his discouragement in ministry, in the height of being a man who followed God with multiple routines and continued, whether it looked good or it looked bad, whether there was success or there was none, whether revival was there or there seemed to be no revival. Dealing with doubt and deep emotion and struggle and successes and, and living for God with all of his heart, the one thing that makes us know his life had meaning was the fact that he wrote a section, a book, some notes, that he eventually put into a work of history called The Collection of the Promises of Scripture. It was an anchor, an anchor book that sets on shelves in many universities in their theological departments because 
It is something that was his life's work. He literally lived the promises of God because he didn't always see them coming to pass. And even though he was a man of many struggles, having pulled himself away from the church that he was once connected to, to go and follow after what God was calling him to do as a minister in a small town, he did assert in his book one thing to all of his readers. He said this about his entirety of life. He said, constantly plead the promises with God in prayer. He said, if you're going to do something that's going to require you struggle and trial and difficulty and discouragement and maybe even tough times, he said, you have to know how to hold on to the promises of God. And for this day, standing in this pulpit, I say once again that no matter how my heart feels or my mind thinks, I must put on the mind of Christ and I must take my heart to the rock that is higher than I am and I must hold on to the promises of God until they come to pass in my life. And if I don't see what I want to see from God, then I must go to God in prayer and plead the promises of Almighty God until I see them come to pass. Oh my goodness, my first submission to the church of the living God this morning at Life Spring is learn to plead the promises to God. Not to the phone line, not to your brother and sister, not to complain to your co-worker, but take it to God in prayer, amen? The greatest tragedy known to the disciples of John the Baptist was when John was beheaded at the hands of Herodias. And we know that whenever they went to get the body of John, they went and they buried him. And the very next thing they did is the Bible says that they went and they told Jesus. The, the things that destroy, destroy the human heart, the things that try to pull down the hope of mankind. When struggle comes and when hurt help, does not help us in life, the best thing you can do with the things that happen to you in life is to go and to bury Bury them under the blood of Jesus Christ and then go to Jesus in prayer and tell him about the woes that you have gone through. Amen. And remind God that the promises are still something you're holding on to. I want to get to the end of my days and hear the promise, well done, thou good and faithful servant. How about you? In Matthew 25 and 23, I want that for my life. And in order to get to that destination, I must plead the promises of God when I don't see them. It's a, it's a difficult place to stand when you're looking at circumstances or situations in your life where you're like, mm, that doesn't look like the blessings of God. If you will just hold on to the promises of God long enough, and if you will just invest your faith in good times, plead the promise. In bad times, plead the promises. When you're excited about God, plead the promises. When you're not excited and discouraged, plead the promises. When your family is buried, plead the, plead the promises. When your mother gets cancer, Plead the promises. When your father abandons you, plead the promises. When your dad's not in church, plead the promises. When your mother doesn't know how to pray for her family, plead the promises. When you don't know how to pay the bills, plead the promises. When you don't know which way to go, plead God's promises. Because it is God who knows 
how to best handle the heart of the human being. The Lord God, in Psalms 60 and 11, the Bible says, the Lord God gave his word. Everybody say, gave his word. This book, you have to understand, is not just a literary piece. It's not a historical document. It is a gift from God. You need to unwrap it. You need to open it up and search it. For in it, in it you can find the issues of life. And the Bible says that the Lord gave his word. Great was the company of those that publish it. In other words, that because God gave such a great gift, you should be giving it to others. Because God gave such a great gift, that there is going to be a company of those that publish it or that pronounce it with the promises of God. I'm grateful today that I can live by this word and share it with others. Amen? I want you to know that there's some really precious things that I've learned in the word of God over the years and you don't stop learning. But there are some things that the scripture tells us about the promises of God. In 2 Corinthians, I pulled a text in 6, in six excuse me, verse 14 through 18. It says, Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. How many know what this is talking about? Whenever your pastor said you shouldn't be dating that girl because she's not in the church, that's what it's talking about. You're like, oh, pastor, you're just cramping my style. No, no. We're actually trying to have you live the gift that God gave you. Live on the promises, amen? For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? And what communion hath light with darkness? And what concord hath Christ with Belial or with false religion or demons? Or what part hath he that believeth with an infidel? And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God. How many know that to be true? As God hath said, I will dwell in them and walk in them. Amen. And I will be their God and they shall be my people. I'm so glad we are his people. Amen. Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord. If it looks like the world, if it talks like the world, if it acts like the world, then guess what? It's probably like the world. But he said there needs to be a line of demarcation between the church and the world. There needs to be a separation, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing and I will receive you. I want to be received by God. Amen. And will be a father unto you and ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. Scripture was broken into sections and chapters later on in time. They were originally letters. So there is no break between chapter 6 and chapter 7 in the original writings. So it goes on in verse seven, chapter 7 and verse 1. If you are to take this verse and link it to all the previous things I just said, be separate. We don't have relationship with those that are not 
of the body of believers. We need to have fellowship with righteousness. We need to have cleanness in our heart. We need to pull down idols. And because of that, if we do those things and separate ourselves from the world, God will receive us and he'll give us promises to be a father to us if we're fatherless. He'll make us a place with him in his heritage as son and daughters. And he will be our God and we will be his people and he will be in us and we will be blessed all because we have chosen to do these things. And so, verse 7 says, Has, having therefore these promises. Everyone say promises. We're talking about a promise story. We want God's promises, amen? Dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. There's a whole lot in that verse. I grew up in a church where we did real good about perfecting the filthiness of the flesh. Amen? Oh, well, I got a couple of you. We dressed right, we looked right, we talked right. But we had people that had skirts so long that their ankles never saw sunlight. And hair piled up so high that you could keep a small family in there. <laughs> but they were mean as a junkyard dog. Because they missed the scripture. It says, cleanse yourself from all flesh and spiritual unrighteousness. Cleanse yourself from spirit. You have to make sure that you don't just go rage. You have to make sure that you don't spend all of your Christian life coming to church, but never dealing with the spiritual issues, the inside issues. I've watched people that had, had gifts in their life that were stripped out of ministry even though they were gifted, because they had everything that looked right, but they didn't deal with what was going on inside, and eventually that hurricane ripped them apart from the inside out, amen? We sing about it. And so the scripture talks to us in Ecclesiastes. Thank you for that, brother. I think I got most of that. Fil cleanse ourselves from filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness. Until you cleanse your spirit and your flesh, you're not perfecting holiness. That's why some people live standards in the churches that all of us grew up in. <laughs> they live standards and then whenever they get to where they have freedom and they're going off to college, all of a sudden they just let everything go. And they're, you're like, I don't understand. Why did that happen? I thought they were living a holiness lifestyle. And you can squirm. I know you're squirming. That's okay. But I want you to know that the reason why was because they weren't perfecting holiness in their life. They were living something on the outside to please men and to fit the rules of a church. And they didn't understand that those things are protections for you. Those things are fences that guide and keep you. And those protections are not just for the outside of your physical body, but they are also supposed to be applied to your spiritual man. Because you can have, like those so many, had all the things right on their outside. They had done everything they were supposed to do with their dress and their life and everything that everybody said were the rules. But they weren't perfecting their spirit. So when they left the church to go off to college or someplace else, they were like, why am I doing this? Why, why was I? They never understood why they were doing what they were doing. 
And so it seems like a regression when they step back away from all of the things that were the rules of where they went to church. But really, they just moved back to where their spirit and their heart was. They just went back to the place where they actually had understanding of what they were doing. And then you begin. So I've watched many times that people come here as a place to harbor at LifeSpring. And they're different from the churches that they came from. And the people, maybe they're even, you know, people, people judge. And they're like, why are they different? They didn't move back so much as they just went to where they actually were in their walk with God. And then you start them on the steps of understanding what it is to know all these things. I know that's hard to address, but I felt like I needed to. So in the fear of God. So perfecting holiness doesn't happen until you fear the Lord. Amen? And I have an illustration for you today that I want to help you with. And I'll get to that shortly. But I want to say this, that Second Corinthians deals with it so well because it says having therefore promises that we obtain them that we cleanse ourselves from filthiness that we perfect holiness in doing so in the fear of God so you won't perfect holiness you won't cleanse your heart and spirit from filthiness if you don't fear God if you have no awe or respect for God and who he is you will not cleanse yourself there's nothing that propels you to do that nobody can preach a good enough sermon we can't sing good enough songs but if you believe god is all powerful and he has a right to be served and he has expectations on your life then you'll begin to live his promises in the word of god and they will change your lifestyle amen somebody and you'll fear god with a true heart that's cleansed promises is the same word here in this Second Corinthians 7 verse 1, as we find in many other places, like Hebrews 11 and 33, where it talks about many of the individuals who suffered great harm because of their faith. And I'm going to go Hebrews 11:33 and down if you want to turn there. It's, it's up to you, but I want you to see the kind of people that we have in our heritage. You may not know them. You, you may only meet them in heaven, but these are the kind of people that we have to call those that came before us. It says in verse 33, who through faith subdued kingdoms, wrought righteousness, obtained promises. That same word promises there means it's actually epangelia is the Greek word. And it means to an, an announcement, number two, a promise, an act of promising, a promise or giving or to be given a promise, a promise good or of good or blessing that's what this word means and it shows up here again that through faith they subdued kingdoms and obtained promises stop the mouth of lions they stop the mouth of lions they stop the mouth of lions how many would trust that you could stop the mouth of a lion right now a little bit rough huh but they had faith to do to do that Notice that they subdued kingdoms by faith before the Holy Ghost was poured out. Think about that. They were able with the power of faith alone to impact kingdoms. And wrought right, they did righteous works and obtained promises and stopped the mouth of lions and quenched 
the violence of fire and escaped the edge of the sword. This doesn't sound like your Monday at work, does it? <laughs> Out of weakness were made strong, waxed valiant in fight, turned to flight the armies of the aliens, turned armies around, Brother Tanner, over their zealousness and faith. Women received their dead raised to life again, and others were tortured, not accepting deliverance that they might obtain a better resurrection. They believed so strongly that God was going to reward their life that they were willing to die to receive a better resurrection in the end. A better reward. We don't even think like that in American church. And then it goes on to say in verse 36, and others had trial of cruel mockings and scourgings, yea, moreover, of bonds of imprisonment. I don't know anyone in this room that's been in prison for their faith. They were stoned, they were sawn asunder, were tempted. This just got R-rated just here. They were sawn asunder, they were tempted, they were slain with the sword, they, were, they wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. Scripture says the world is not worthy of people like this. In other words, their story became a kingdom story because they held on to God's promises, amen? God having, let's go back, of whom the world was not worthy, verse 38, they wandered in deserts and in the mountains and in the dens and caves of the earth. How many know there's not a whole lot of creature comforts there? How many know no matter how great Ellen can decorate? She can't decorate that. Oh, but yes, she can. <laughs> And these all having obtained a good report. Everyone say a good report. Through faith received not the promise. They didn't receive what they were hoping for, but they died clutching to their promises. Their story was a story of holding on to promises even though they went to the grave before they saw them. I want that to be my story if I have to go before I see things I've prayed about come to pass. I want to live a promised story where I say, if I die, God will make it happen even though I'm gone. Amen? In verse 12, it's, in chapter 12, it goes on. It says, God having provided some better things. Actually, in verse 40, God having provided some better thing for us, that they without us should not be made perfect. In other words, he's talking, I believe, about the Holy Ghost, where he's saying they didn't have some promises because that, that word promise is the same word promise in Acts chapter 1 and 4, where it says, wait for the promise of the Father. I believe he's di differentiating between those that lived under the law by faith and the promises, and us who now have the promise of God living in our life. Amen? 
He said, if they can do that by faith and they did not have the promise, then in Acts, if it's using the same word, I believe this, that we are better qualified. We are more, we should be more excited about what God is doing. We should be more able to get on our feet and worship God and stand in hard times because we're not just hoping for the promise. The promise has already been poured out on our lives. Amen. We are filled with the Holy Ghost. God is in us. And so of all the promises we do not receive and we live for, we have the greatest promise at work right now in our life. That's worth shouting over. Amen. And then chapter 12 of the same. Wherefore seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses. What is he talking about? He's talking about all those people that died with their faith. That didn't have all of it. All of the things that they were hoping for. But they died as a cloud of witnesses. To the fact that we should lay aside. It says let us lay aside every weight and sin with which doth so easily beset us and let us run with patience the race that is set before us looking unto Jesus the author and finisher of our faith amen somebody who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross despising the shame and is set down the right hand on the throne of God for consider listen to this for consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself Lest ye be wearied and faint in your mind. Ye have not yet resisted unto blood striving against sin. How many know what it's like to faint in your mind? Have you ever woke up exhausted and you thought you got a good night's sleep? You are fainted. You have fainted in your mind. In other words, the, dis the difficulties of life, the, the struggles of life can cause us to faint in our minds while we're doing our daily routines. And God said right here, if all of them can die holding on to promises with faith alone and we who have the Holy Ghost poured out upon our lives can now have greater hope and greater opportunity than if we have this entire cloud that has gone before us that says I didn't have it but I stayed faithful. I wasn't able to hold on to the Holy Ghost but I still walked with God. I had to give my life for this message but I still loved God all the way to my last breath. Then we who have that cloud of witnesses ought to be able to lay a aside every weight and every sin that easily sets us back and run with patience the race of God set before us in our life. Amen, somebody. And when you get discouraged, consider Jesus who was abused and was mocked and was spit upon. Consider the contradiction of the sinners that they received miracles from him and then said, crucify him. He said, if you think you've resisted unto blood, know that Jesus died for people who received from his hand, not many days before that, that were blessed with miracles and things, and then yet turned around and said, yes, take him on that cross, crucify him. What is it really saying? You haven't resisted unto blood. What does that really mean? I'll tell you what I think it means. You can read into scripture and study it yourself. In other words, he's saying, you haven't had a battle where you had to give your blood, where you had to die. And he said, if you're recalling Jesus Christ and you haven't resisted unto blood, remember that those sinners turned on him 
and crucified him. But he considered every one of them more valuable than the blood running in his veins. He said, you are worth more than the life-giving source in me. He puts value on us so much that he said, I'll shed my blood so that I could purchase you. If you ever think that you're not valuable, just go and read that verse right there. You haven't resisted unto blood, but Jesus gave himself and shed his blood so that he could say, what's in me is worthy of giving so that I can purchase you. That's, that'll take away every low self-esteem in the room right there. That's a place to worship right there because no matter what you go through in life, no matter how you feel about yourself, you know that Jesus was willing to die and shed his blood for you. That's a beautiful thing. And the fact that we have the promise. We have promises we're waiting on. I'm waiting on promises. How about you? How many ever feel like God's forgotten you? Don't raise your hand. I came here this morning discouraged, I'll be honest with you. I was like, ah, oh, it just feels like just such a struggle. Like we're rowing in a boat that's on sand, you know, sometimes. It's like I don't quite understand why it has to be such a struggle in my spirit. But there's something that you have to learn out of Ecclesiastes 4, and I'm going to show this with you, and I hope this helps you, and this is going to be good for you because um, because I gave you that threefold cord for your marriage. And this is something that God showed me. This is a... Um, would you go to Ecclesiastes 4.12 for me? Thank you. This is your standard microphone cable right here. Okay. Now I've cut it, but this is what plugs into the microphone in order to transfer the signals that go back to that board. And that board then converts it into sound and puts it out the speakers. Well, the speakers put it out. But inside this particular microphone cable there are the wires that transfer the sound okay and the the copper that you're seeing right there that's called the ground you have to have ground you have to be grounded in order for sound to transfer right or you get interference amen so this this is what this says and if one prevail against him in ecclesiastes 4 and 12 two shall withstand him and a threefold cord is not quickly broken the context is if a person has somebody come against them, he can fight only so well. But if there's two against one, then me and Reese, we can take on Roly. <laughs> and when me and Reese are standing there, Roly's going to be like, I'd really like to beat up Reese, but his brother Calhoun's standing there. I'm not going to be able to take him. And then it says, a threefold cord is not quickly broken. I submit to you today that that is giving numbers that you can apply to bigger things than just having um, a majority. I believe you can apply that to your heart and your mind. That when your heart is overwhelmed and when your mind is overwhelmed, that if you'll let the promise of God, the Holy Spirit, sync those things together, to hold on to God's promises even when you don't feel like it's coming to pass, even when you feel like maybe God's forsaken you, that that is like a threefold cord that cannot be broken. When your heart and your mind says, I know I've got a lot of emotions going right now. 
I know I've got a lot of things that I'm confused about. I don't understand why God's not making sense in this area, but I'm going to sync those things up in prayer in the Holy Ghost and just trust God that his promises are still going to come to pass in my life. That is something that is strong as strong as a threefold cord that cannot be broken. And I want to show this to you because you may not know this, but this transfers signal, which is basically a sound gets transferred through this. But if you remove the ground wires and you get to the two wires that send the hot electrical signal, they're wrapped in three, in three, sometimes four cords. This one actually has three, but one I frayed out. They're wrapped in three cords. Do you guys see that there? The three ropes? Why would there be three ropes? Oh, actually, there's four on this one, I think, but that's okay. We're going to use for three. We're going to call it three for the illustration. These are the wires that carry the signal. Those two, that blue and that red one, that carries the signal. All these other cords that are in here, they found out that rope has an insulation property. That you can take 20 of these cords and lay them all together across a stage and have them all carrying different signals from different microphones, different singers, different instruments. And they will not interfere with one another as long as they've put three or more cords wrapped around the microphone wires that are carrying the signal. In other words, these cords, threefold cords, like we're talking about here, they insulate the connection from being interfered with. That's so good. You're just going to have to take that home and uh, love your pastor for it. <laughs> that means that when your heart is overwhelmed and your head is overwhelmed, Psalm 68 and verse whatever it is I gave you, look at this verse. For at the end of the earth I will cry unto thee, when my heart is overwhelmed, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. It's talking about these three full chords. I, I say, this is your mind, this is your heart, and this is the Holy Ghost. That's what I'm trying to say. And whenever you have a connection with God and you want to keep your connection strong, there are all kind of interferences that try to get between your connection with God and your lifestyle and the way that you live for God. And those connections can be disrupted if you don't take your heart in your mind and bury it in the promises of God. Hide his word in your heart that you might not sin against God. All of those things are taking threefold cord, your heart, your head, and the spirit of God in your life and connecting them together so that there's no interruption, there's no disconnection, no matter what's going on. You can walk in church and sit next to somebody who has the worst attitude and you can still worship and praise God sitting right next to them as long as you're holding on to God's promises and you've taken your heart and your head to God. Amen? Amen. Oh, I, mm, I love that illustration. I think I'll use that someplace else. <laughs> Three-fold cord is not easily broken. I was in Georgia. I'm almost done. I was in Georgia, and we were doing an install at the University of Georgia. Go Bulldogs. And they have bulldogs all over Athens, Georgia on the corners, and they have them dressed in different colors. Some of the bulldogs have a helmet on them. It's just really fun. It's really cool. And the one thing you'll know about Georgia, the University of Georgia, if they do anything well, they do football well. They are all about football. They have a stadium the size of an NFL stadium 
for a university, and it's all for football. The, the football players don't even go to class. They have tutors. They go work out, they practice, and in the afternoon, they have teachers come to them. That's how big they are about football. So, we were standing there and working, and we went to lunch. And we're driving, and there's these tents, you know, those kind of like outdoor tents that they pop up. They're probably about half the size of this room. And it is so hot. It's like, I'm, I'm saying it was 100 degrees, but I'm in a Wisconsin boy in, a, in Georgia. And it's humid, and it's hot. I walked outside and went, <gasps> you know, like it takes your breath away, kind of moisture in the air, hot. And we get in the car, and it's like the air conditioner can't come on fast enough. And we're driving, and we're sitting at a light, and there's this big tent, and there's all of these ladies that are trying to get into this sorority. I don't know a thing about sororities. But they won't let them go into the sorority house, you know, like frat house, fraternity houses, sorority houses. They won't let them go into the house until they've been selected to be a part of the sorority. So they're all dressed up under this tent in 100-degree weather, but they're all happy. And I'm like, what is the matter with you people? If I was in that kind of heat, I'd be not only soaking wet, I'd be miserable. And then I'm like, look at that. They're all just standing outside in the heat, going through the rituals that they have to do to become a sorority sister at that sorority. And I'm like, that's crazy. I, wouldn't, I could never do that. And my partner said, well, look up front of the tent. And I'm like, okay. He's like, you see that huge industrial fan that's up there he goes that thing is blowing air through that entire tent he goes it's totally different standing out in the sun in Georgia because his grandfather lived there for many years he said it's so different to stand out in the sun in Georgia in the hot humidity than it is to stand in the shade of a tent with a fan blowing wind through a tent he goes you can be comfortable in the most hot situations if the wind is blowing. Let me preach that. The Holy Ghost is called the pneuma in Greek, which means wind. You can go through the most difficult situations in life. You can go through the hardest struggles, be in the most un ungodly situations, and still be a Christian as long as the wind of God, the Holy Ghost, the promise that is in our life is blowing through your life. I don't know about you, but I can build a church if I've got the Holy Ghost in my life. I can go through cancer if I've got the Holy Ghost in my life. I can live with a family member who gets buried if I have the Holy Ghost in my life. Yeah, yeah. Oh my goodness, I love preaching today. I've preached myself happy this morning. <laughs> I'm so glad about a promise story. For his kingdom. Jesus said, when he was with his disciples, take, eat, and do all this in remembrance of me. When we remember Jesus, we know that we can make it through the things we have to go through. We can live on promise. And the Holy Ghost is poured out in Acts chapter 2. You guys know it well. It's our favorite verse in the Bible. Acts 2.38, what's it say? Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Amen? 
But the next verse is so awesome to me because it says in 2 and 39, for the promise, that same word promise shows up in our testament of transformation is unto you and to your children and to all that are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. I want you to know that we're not just a people living a promise story. We're a people that need to carry a promise story to everybody else. That he has promised our children, our generations beyond us, our posterity, the same great life that we live. That no matter how harsh the climate, if the wind of God is blowing through our life, we will be comfortable in him. Amen.